Welcome to the Coach Growth Podcast, where we hope to provide value and learning to not only young and new coaches, but all coaches who want to continue to grow. I am your host, Coach Andrew McKacky. If you get something out of today's episode, please leave a rating and a review, and don't forget to subscribe so you can stay up to date on the latest episode. Lastly, follow me on Twitter at Coach McGacky, that's M-C-G-H-G-H-Y, and don't be afraid to reach out with any coaches or topics you want to hear me talk about. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. As you know, I'm your host, Coach Andrew McGacky. My guest today is Coach Jesse Curtis. Coach Curtis is a strength and speed slash performance coach for the football team down in uh, Manny High School, which is in Louisiana. He's also the head powerlifting coach. Admittedly, I didn't know a whole lot about Coach Curtis prior to having him onto the show, but after our conversations both during and after the recording stopped, I just can tell that he's an incredible coach who really embodies everything that we stand for here at the Coach Growth Podcast, you know, growing, learning, striving to be the best coach we can be, and I think he's doing a great job of that, and he's going to continue to do a great job of that. So make sure you give Coach Curtis a follow on Twitter. His uh, Twitter handle will be in the notes, and I really hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome back, everybody. Joined by Jesse Curtis, strength coach, assistant football coach, powerlifting coach at Mini High School, which is in Louisiana, correct? Correct. I'm not going to lie. When I first read Mini High School, I just thought it was like a grammatical error. I felt really stupid. Well, <laughs> I, well I, I can go ahead and correct you. Everybody says this. We pronounce it Manny. So it's uh, it looks like Mini, and you're not the first guy to say it, but it's a Manny High School. It's, okay. A lot of people do that. Coach at Manny High School. How and why did you get into coaching? You know, what's your, what's your story there, Coach? Yeah, so uh, I kind of took a kind of topsy-turvy road into coaching, I would say. Uh, my father is actually the head coach over here at Manny High School, um, and he was previously a position coach and just kind of getting into coaching. My family had a business. I'm from Manny, uh, grew up here, went to school here. And uh, I kind of got out of school and, you know, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And uh, eventually I just kind of got into teaching. And in about 2014, I ended up stepping into a coaching role here at the high school. I helped with defensive backs and just kind of sporadically helped in the weight room and, and with training. And then over time, I would end up actually kind of taking over our offseason training and uh, going through all the condition strength and conditioning and speed development things and that's kind of led me to my role today I'm an English two teacher here at the high school and I also uh, program all of the workouts for the football team both inside and outside so pretty much 365 days a year I'm responsible for that I've been here from 14 to through this year stepped away for one year and uh, moved over to Hawaii and uh, I coached football that year as well it was a, at a larger school. My wife's from Hawaii, so we wanted to move over there and try that out. I got homesick, wanted to come home, and because uh, I, I love this community, I love this school, and uh, we've had a lot of success here. And I just uh, had a really special connection with the boys, so I came back last year, and I've, I've been back at it ever since. That's a heck of a move from Louisiana all the way to Hawaii and back. It's a lot, a lot of frequent flyer mileage. That's crazy. There's no doubt. And I moved over there while she was uh, pregnant and we brought three animals with us as well. So that was, and my truck. So we drove all the way to the West Coast and then then headed out there. So crazy. What's it like coaching under your dad? Is that uh, a different dynamic? Is there, I don't know, what's that like? I, I would say it's definitely a unique situation, but you know, we have such a good relationship among our coaching staff. It's It's almost like family in there anyways. And one of the upsides, you know, with, with having my father as a coach is 
you know, sometimes you're afraid to approach uh, different people and, and offer different things, but he's, he's my father. I've grown up with him all my life. So, you know, whenever I'm wanting to try something out, I know I can always pass it by him. We have a really good working relationship and my family's just so involved in this school. Uh, you know, I have an uncle that's involved at the school. My grandfather is heavily involved in the program. So it's almost like a family tradition up here. So it's, it's really a positive and a plus. It's pretty awesome. You mentioned that you, you coach powerlifting as well. Is that like a, is that a state sanctioned sport in Louisiana or is that like a like just an extra thing? It is sanctioned. It's done a little bit different. It's kind of done, I think, how golf and other sports like that are done in our uh, state. It is run through the LHSAA, which is our governing body for like eligibility. And then its ruling is done through our association, which is like the LHS PLA. So it is, you know, sanctioned. We'll have a state and all that coming up in March. So it is run like a typical sport. We just have a split organization for our rules and everything. What's your, what's the season like time-wise or, you know, throughout the calendar year? What's that look like for powerlifting? For powerlifting? Well, we'll start, our first meets typically happen right at the beginning of January. And you're going to have meets from January up through the middle of February. And then in February, they have the state divided up into five or six regions. And you'll go compete at your region to qualify. And state follows roughly about three to four weeks after that. So it's a pretty quick season. Uh, but a lot of other things are obviously going on. Uh, I coach at a smaller school, so I have athletes playing multiple sports. So it works really well to allow kids to get involved in that sport, but participate in others as well. Okay, that was going to be my next question. With kids that compete in powerlifting and then a, a, a team sport or something through the, through the school, how do you have like practices? For, like, are you working te- like, a, like a technique in like a practice session kind of thing? Or are you just training them? like you would be for their their sport and then going to powerlifting competitions and competing. So you're asking if they participate in another sport, if they come to a separate powerlifting practice? Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, most of my guys that powerlift are football players. I'm not going to say that they all are. Uh, they're, they're going to lift with me last block. So I'm going to kind of look at what they did for that day. And then we will work after school. It's normally only going to be about 45 minutes to 50 minutes, depending on what they did uh, prior for that day. And, you know, our, our time in competition, want to taper down before you get the comp. But uh, I do boys and girls. So that's a fun dynamic. The girls need a little bit more because they're not with me last block, but we do have a separate uh, practice schedule. Yes. Now, when you write, uh, programming and, you know, for the strength and conditioning for football players that aren't also competitive powerlifters, is there still, would you say like a powerlifting bias? Like, you know, are you still really enforcing the big three lifts, you know, on non-powerlifting athletes? Absolutely not. The main lifts for me are going to be, yes, I do squat. I do a variety of different types of squats, uh, bilateral and unilateral both. Uh, we bench press, obviously, and we do deadlift. I most often only will trap bar deadlift unless you're going to be a competitive power lifter. So I mostly will trap bar with my football team. You're only going to straight bar if you power lift. Uh, every now and then I'll pull out the straight bars if I want to work different, you know, muscles in their back or, uh, you know, the glutes or things differently, uh, but mostly sticking to trap bar. Uh, my football team will clean as well. And then they'll do some overhead presses as well that 
obviously. So I, I will get away from the big three. I'm not just a powerlifting guy. Uh, I'm, I like to bounce around. I like to try different things. So I do not just follow the big three for my athletic development. Do you now currently, or did you ever uh, compete in powerlifting? I did not compete in powerlifting because we didn't offer it whenever I was in school. Actually, I started powerlifting last year for us. This is our second year of powerlifting. So this is something new for this community. It's been real fun for them to get behind and get the kids involved in something different. I love, I love powerlifting, you know, just as a spectator of the sport, I think it's incredible. Our uh, athletic trainer at our high school is a competitive powerlifter. He competes for it's the American drug free powerlifting federation. Um, incredibly. I mean, one is, I know, I want to say he was a national champion. I'm pretty sure he was a national champion uh, two years ago. He benched like five Oh five in comp um, just crazy stuff. And that made kids would see like him posting his uh, lifting videos in the weight room, uh, you know, just, moving incredible amounts of weight and so there is like this kind of fascination with powerlifting in our high school that's been inspired by him and his uh competing throughout the years so i've never competed in powerlifting and i've never coached powerlifting but like a lot of people i think i got really fascinated by it when the first time i was ever introduced to west side you know how you feel about conjugate or anything like that but louis simmons is just such a polarizing character and i don't know i just can't help but love him and i love listening to him talk and you know, just talk sports and talk training guys like that, whether it be powerlifting, you know, it's just, it's great to look at innovators way they brought the sport forward, you know, and I know what he did was, was very different compared to normal American periodization at the time. And I, I honestly, just a couple of weeks ago, I, I was bored. So I watched West side versus the world. It's just a fascinating documentary. Is, crazy what, you know, how, uh, what those guys put their body through. I, I, I think it's awesome. I love it. I, I, I respect anyone that wants to push their, their limits. But I, I like what you said there. If they're not competing in powerlifting, you're not going to train them like a powerlifter. And I think that's that's really good to hear. And, and I, I love to hear that. I think there's a, a common misconception that coaches will only train kids one way. Absolutely. And I think that that's something that you do see a lot of. You know, if, if a person has a powerlifting bias, then they're going to train everybody with that powerlifting bias, but we, you know, as a coach, we need to wear multiple hats and understand that what is good for some athletes might not be good for others. And, you know, in my experience and from what I've seen working on powerlifting makes you good at powerlifting training to be a powerlifter doesn't necessarily have the best transfer or carryover to the football field or the basketball court. I'm 1000% agree, man. Uh, they're not going to roll a straight bar out to the 50 whenever we're getting to kick the ball off at seven o'clock on Friday night. And, you know, just a little bit about me and kind of my philosophy and how it's shifted throughout the years. I have always been a weight room guy. Whenever I train my kids, I'm still in the weight room. I write the speed programming as well. But I think you have to look at what don't I understand and you have to just dive into that. And I'll, I'll admit that I did not understand how to effectively program for speed, to effectively program for power. In the last couple of years of my life, I've pretty much devoted all my time to that. And I, I'm it's I'm sport specific for the particular sport. And uh, I'm a block. I do my periodization through blocks and uh, I, I dip in and out of various things. And I just try to continue to develop my athletes throughout an entire year because I used to be a bit more, you know, on the heavyweight and moving it within a strict, you better get parallel or below such and such and such. But as I went along, I noticed what I felt like was the top of the mountain was often a plateau. And that was occurring before I was getting ready to actually partake in my competition. So the last couple of years I've 
spent a lot of time uh, focusing on how I can advance a kid 365 days a year through various methods. And that's really been my focus. One thing that gets, I don't want to say this, misconstrued when people have an opinion or, or an idea of, of how someone is and how they train. You see this a lot on Twitter, right? I don't know. People just try like try to paint, paint people a specific way without knowing their training philosophies or things like that. You see, I, you see this all the time on Twitter, but with strength and conditioning as someone who has, you know, recently become a strength and conditioning coach, you know, professionally, I, I do, you know, I, I hold that job title now. So I pay attention to these things a little more than I used to. Why, in your opinion, people that train athletes, why are they so quick to attack and judge other people and how they train athletes? without knowing the full picture? I don't know, but I, I will 1000% concur with you on that. I love Twitter. I'm on it all the time. I think it is such a vital tool for strength coaches and the development of coaches and just networking. Uh, but I notice it as well. You know, I am not a dogmatic person. So whenever I look around, it's just so hard for me to see. You have to understand there's so many different varieties of things that could be occurring and in, in the needs of your athletes. You know, the needs of different populations and different groups of kids may vary. There may be times where there needs to be more strength training occurring. There may be times where it's time to feed the cats or do a, a ton of sprinting. Um, I have some things that I feel like are kind of pillars, you know, that I feel like should probably always be followed. But I just think that people, they read into things, they really tie into one thing and they just go all the way in on it. And then once they do that, it's like they just continue to go deeper and deeper and deeper down that hole. And that can be a good thing. But at the same time, I want to find things that actually contradict what I'm doing so I can say, well, why am I not doing it? So I can question myself. I'm a huge triphasic guy. Caldeet says all the time I create questions that I didn't have to provide answers for. And uh, I think that's a way to stay open-minded. I think people to discover some things and then over time they close their minds and they say well that's just kind of how I explain things and they don't want to delve deeper into any topics or how they tie together so I think that's kind of how that happens this conversation is just a perfect example of it you know, your Twitter bio for example says powerlifting coach yeah. so if somebody reads that they're going to immediately have these assumptions that oh you train you train all your athletes to be powerlifters mm -hmm. you work the big three but you, you you said like no that's that's not true and it's just crazy that people can make assumptions like that without knowing anything regarding their situation. My athletes are my athletes, your athletes are your athletes. I, and until we're in each other's shoes, I don't think we have the right to judge. Now, that's not to say that we can't objectively call out bad things. There is a time and a place for that. And as, a, as professionals, that needs to happen with tact and, you know, with professionalism. Brooks Johnson, who's a great track coach. I want to say it was Brooks Johnson. I heard him on an interview talk about how, like, if you're not in the huddle, you don't know the play, right? If you're not in that huddle, you don't know everything that's going on. If you're not in that coach's situation, you don't know his athletes, you don't know his demographic, all kinds of things. But at the end of the day, I, we need to, I would think, and maybe I'm just naive because I'm young, but I would think that we would give uh, other coaches the professional courtesy to believe that everybody has their athlete's best interests at heart. It's just, it just seems like more and more as you get on social media, it's just the opposite. Everybody just wants to attack. And I, I don't know if it's because people want to gratify their own beliefs. And the best way to do that is to attacking others, you know, just basic bullet being a bully, right? I need to feel good about myself. And the truth of it is you're not going to 
you're not going to get them over to your side, even if you cared to by attacking them. You're going to discourage them. You know, if somebody comes and attacks your beliefs rather than showing you something and saying, hey, this is pretty cool right here, or this is kind of what I follow, somebody's going to be more receptive to that rather than attacking. You're, it's the, you know, the fly with the vinegar and honey, basically. That's that's how humans function as well. You're going to feel attacked if, if that's how you approach the situation. You talked about how, you know, you want to look for things that kind of contradict what you believe just to expose yourself to new ideas. Lee Weber, who was a, was a guest of mine, recommended a book called Ranges that talks about that, how like you shouldn't be overly specific. And I, I was, while I was, I've been reading that book and then not too long ago, I heard Boosh next night talk about, you know, he's obviously a well-known track and field coach, but he's like, if you want to be a better coach, you need to look outside your comfort zone and you know he talks about he talked about how you can read every track and field book in the world like eventually you know you'll read every book but then what you need to read things that aren't about track and field to objectively look at the things that are about track and field and be able to differentiate them and look at other ideas and things of that nature and so what like what made you start like you know obviously when when coaches first start out we don't typically have that mindset of like, I want to, I want to find contradictory information and, and, and grow and be better from it. So what made you start, like, when did you start doing that? Like I said, I was just kind of observing, you know, the adaptations I was getting from my kids throughout the years. And we were being, we were very successful during that time. Don't, don't get me wrong. We were still very successful, uh, but I was not happy with, with what I was able to do. And at the same time, I knew I could provide more. So as I saw that, you know, I'm able to build these guys into extremely strong young men that are capable of, you know, performing on Friday night. I knew there was an element missing, and and I just went way deeper down the rabbit hole than I ever uh, really intended. I mean, I've I've really focused a lot in the last year on the nervous system and uh, just stress and the way that stress accumulates and, and all those different things. You know, you were telling the story about Boo. You know, Boo's you know from Louisiana as well, jumps coach, and. Uh, a story that ties directly to that. I like Dan Fichter a lot. He's the nervous system guy. And he was talking about, I think he went to Mel, was he with Mel, who was with somebody for a while. Uh, and he went, Mel Siff, he went and stayed at his house and he said, hey, I want you to read, read everything on conditioning because you hate it basically. And I'm not saying that you just have to dive that deep, but as I started reading this stuff, I, it's not that I ever hated it. It's like I would just did not think about it. I wasn't thinking as in depth. And I've just falling in love with speed development and power development and the stress accumulation and getting the correct adaptations and uh, the nervous system and all those, those things, you know, Dan is, is, is an incredible coach, such a smart guy. And if you want to challenge your thoughts, you need to listen to Dan Victor. Uh, I, I had an interview with uh, Joe Stokowski earlier this week, and we kind of talked about like the rabbit hole that like with feed, feed the cats, if you're familiar with, you know, the feed the cats crowd, you go from like Tony to, you know, Brad Dixon and then like Chris Corfus and then like, like Cal Dietz and then Dan Fichter. And it just go from, uh, you know, one incredibly smart coach to another. And it, it's, it's amazing. And it's, it's no wonder that these guys pull together because they're all so incredibly smart and they're pushing the, the, the field forward. And Dan, I never in my entire life thought as a coach, prior to Dan, I thought about the eyes and, you know, the vestibular system and training those things in high school athletes. I, like none of that really crossed my mind. And then when I listened to him speak, I was like, why isn't everybody talking about this? Like, this is incredible. Like this is such a key aspect of movement and, you know, moving well and proper. So yeah, if anybody listening to this, if you don't know who Dan Fichter is, um, his Twitter handle is 
want to get fast wgf1 i believe so definitely look into dad because he will blow your mind and and i actually uh right before covid shut everything down i live several hours from austin texas but i'm right on the texas border i drove over to austin and uh actually cal deets and B matt van dyke and uh and Victor were all there. I didn't know who Dan Victor was at the time. And then he got up there and he gave his presentation, just kind of blew me away. And that that really got me going down some rabbit holes on, on that type of stuff. But uh, Cal, yeah, man, I, he got me thinking about power production, which led me into speed. So those those are two very uh, influential people that I've really followed closely. Kind of a, a not necessarily a broad question, but just one that I, I wanted to ask somebody else. But, uh, in your Twitter bio, you have Signal 6 in there. So I take it you you know you took the course and you implement Signal Six. Yes, I do. What what what's your experience with that? Because I just took this uh, course not too long ago, and uh, I put it in to a, we had a I had my first lifting session as a as a strength coach, and so I put it in there, and the kids were skeptical to say the least. But I I used it um, myself. And I, I feel incredible. I felt incredible. Like after the first couple of times of using it, my range of motion improved dramatically. What's been your, you know, kind of experience with using it? I've been using it for about a month. Uh, I was kind of, you know, skeptical. How are the kids going to take it? I implement RPR too. And I, I, I thought I had to be tactful in how I built that as well. Uh, with Signal 6, I like it for a couple of reasons. I'll, I'll tell you how it's kind of going for me, but I like it because to me, as a coach, I feel like sometimes we overload kids with Q, 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 Q. And doing signal six allows me to say, hey, that's what internal rotation feels like. That's external rotation. And I see that with kids all the time. And uh, I've, I'll have i look around the weight room, and I kind of told them after the first time we did it, and I, I said, you guys might not have felt it, but I just watched your range of motion and mobility get better. I've just watched you be able to actually flex your spine and uh, actually get further down in your thoracic bend and all those things. So for me, I don't know how the kids feel about it. I actually just used it with the powerlifting team because we needed kind of like a deload day. And I took them in there. And one of my kids said, I'm going to go home and do this some more because they like it. I'm not a big static stretching guy. I think signal six is something that unlocks really true movement and how to get to better positions. Because uh, I spent the first three weeks of my programming for our football team doing primarily isometrics uh, and getting them familiar to important positions. So I just feel like, introducing kids to positions is extremely important. I'm going to get the uh, square one system in May as soon as it comes out. I think it comes out on the uh, on the web in May. So I'm going to actually dive into that as well. What uh, the girls track coach and I, she, um, I, I took the um, RPR course online and her husband is also a track coach and he, he didn't do, he hasn't done RPR, but he did like be activated, like a long time ago yeah the, old, the first one <laughs> yeah so he, he is familiar he did be activated and so he knew about that so when they would work out he would activate her and she loved it and you know she she called she texted me and was like hey there's this thing called be activated you know you gotta we gotta try it we need to get every athlete doing it it's amazing and i was like actually you're kind of behind the curve it's called it's rpr now and i was like and i just did it and you're right it is amazing and so we're, we're trying to uh, like brainstorm a way to kind of put like a workshop together for all the teams. Like so many coaches, I think RPR is a, is a, is a game changer and, and kids all, you know, will benefit from using it. But there's just something with kids being like skeptical of something like that, right? Like 
you tell a kid to go squat sub maximally, even like they won't really think they won't hesitate. They're like, Oh, okay. I'll go, you know, I'll do put 500 pounds on my back and try to squat it. Even if I'm not prepared to do it because coach told me I should. But if I tell a kid like, Hey, rub your sternum up and down, rub, you know, rub, rub your, your abdomen. I told the kids, like we started practice or the weightlifting session yesterday, which is some belly breathing because like I want kids to start focusing on that and I want them to think about those kind of things like hey when you come in hands above your hips and just 15 breaths into your stomach through your nose and just be conscious about how you're breathing and they just like I could see in their eyes they're like this guy's a kook he does like this is the strength coach so I guess like the question I'm trying to get to is like how were you met with skepticism when you kind of put in RPR or signal six or some of these odd things and how did you like? I was, I was nervous about about putting it in. I'll, I'll be honest with you. And the first one of the main things they tell you on the course right is don't wait. You know, do it immediately. And I did it over quarantine, uh, so I was like, okay, I need to do this immediately. I waited about a week, and then we had some tight muscles because we were just getting back to work. And I was like, I got to implement this. So what I did is uh, to kind of slowly roll into it. I kind of got my senior leadership. And I made them stay for a week and we've never focused on belly breathing before. I said, okay, today's just belly breathing. And we would, you know, 10 to 15 minutes in our locker room after our workout, didn't do it before I would do it after at that time. And then I took them through zone one for about two days. And then I introduced zone two and then zone three. And so then whenever I introduced it into the entire entire team, I had three or four seniors standing facing every direction and we were kind of going through the movements together. So I think that's a really easy way to uh, get buy-in from your athletes. I'm not gonna say that it goes perfect all the time. These are 15, 16 year old kids and it requires you know, for you to pay attention to detail. So there's oftentimes I have to tell them you're not in the right spot. You're not, you know, you're not doing it right, focus right here. Uh, so it doesn't go perfectly all the time, but I found by breaking it up, by giving it to more mature kids initially, and then allowing them to show the rest of the team, I felt like that was something almost prized because I didn't even do it with my JV kids during the summer, but then it was kind of like, oh, now we get to do RPR because I worked them out year round. If you're not varsity, you're going to be working a little bit more during the season. And I taught them RPR at that time. It was kind of like a, a badge honor, to, you know, that they were given basically. Do you do RPR uh, before pra- like every practice? Or workout? I do it before every workout session. Uh, I can't say that I do it before every practice because I have, if I'm in season, I'm doing uh, two workouts and they have to get some film in before we go out on the field. So I'm extremely limited in time. I do it before every one of my lifts in the off season at both, you know, downstairs at the track and up in the weight room. And I also, it's a huge part of our game day. And I tell you, that's really kind of been the game changer for me because I really slow it down and take my time. And we spend, you know, probably about five minutes just doing box breathing before we even start RPR. And it's taken away some of the dead time that my kids have to distract their minds. And I tell them, this is the time, I call it visualize the victory, basically. They lay down on the ground, we elevate our feet, we box breathe for about five minutes, and we take our time going through RPR, getting some belly breaths in between each of the individual resets too so it's it's been tremendous to get us focused on game day and ready for the uh, the battle that's coming you know shortly if you don't mind me asking coach this is something that i've been trying to put a lot of thought into going in because we you know our football season starts in a couple months so this is something i've been putting a lot of thought into lately and trying to change up and trying to figure out how to optimize things what is your uh what, what's your game day protocol for your athletes you know friday night friday rolls around what are you guys doing as far as how we handle our warm up and all that, or 
Yeah. Like, do you guys lift on Fridays, like in school, before school, after school, or anything like that? We, we do not lift on Fridays. We, uh, you know, we're going to have, we have a last block. We're on a block schedule. So the team's going to get together. The varsity guys are probably going to go over to film to get a last, you know, kind of run through on our opponent for the day. Uh, we'll have a pregame. They'll go back and kind of talk with their coaches again in the classrooms. And during that time, I'm kind of getting all the technology and all that mess set up with some of the guys that aren't on the varsity. They'll come over, and then I'm going to do RPR with them. It's not at the necessarily opportune time that I would want, but I do it uh, probably about an hour, I would say, hour and a half before the game. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm, re I'm in the process of reworking a lot of my warm-up protocols and uh, moving it to a more plyometric and just uh, dynamic uh, movement. Uh, type methods basically because we we did static stretching last year and uh, I'm not I'm not, I'm not dogmatic or anything but I just have some ideas and that kind of ties into how I want to develop athletes in the season as well because how can I dose speed in before I get conditioning in with such a long practice so I'm actually kind of throwing some things around in my head working on microdosing speed at practice too so I'm working on that as well right now hey, I love to hear that coach that you're, you're, you're trying to continue to improve that. That's kind of what we're all about here, man. Growing. I guess I skipped over this question earlier. Your high school, Manny high school, caught myself, Manny high school, uh, where you coach what's size wise. Like, what do you guys look like as far uh, as like the enrollment? Yeah. Enrollment and then uh, team like football team size. Okay. Yeah. So we're a, there's five classifications in Louisiana. We are a two A school. So we're a smaller school. Uh, our enrollment's probably between uh, 345 to about 360 students total. We have a tremendous amount of support for our football program for a variety of reasons. Uh, we've had a hundred kids on the team before. Almost every boy in the school played at one point. Uh, we typically fluctuate between 75 and uh, probably 90 kids on the roster. And that's extremely large for a 2A program. Uh, and not all those kids are just, you know, studs, but it's so awesome. That's what's so special about this place is the community involvement. You know, I, I don't know how much you know about Louisiana football, but we've been pretty successful over the uh, last decade. We've we've been in state twice. We've been, uh, we've been in state four times. We've won twice and we've been in the semi finals uh, from 2013 to 2020 there's only been one year we hadn't been semifinals or in the state finals essentially so tremendous support uh before you came on do you know like what the strength and conditioning was like prior to you taking up that, that role at you know the, the the speed and strength development of those football players what what was that like prior to you Yes, I, I do know because, I, like I said, I've always kind of been hanging around and I, and I still actually work with uh, some of the people that were helping to do it before. Number one, you know, like you're you're just a strength, you're a strength coach on staff for that. I just kind of call myself. Uh, yeah, I am a strength coach because I do all the programming you know, it was a coach that was a football coach who was just responsible for doing the uh, programming. They used bigger, uh, faster, stronger, which I think every person who's ever programmed before has seen that. I went with a different program because I wanted the opportunity to analyze data more and kind of move it into uh, a more modern sense. So uh, I don't know, by way of destiny or whatever, the program kind of crashed out on us. We had it on a hard drive. It was an old program and I moved it on over to a uh, platform. Uh, I know that they did uh, like uh, snatch, deadlift, squat, all those things. Your typical bigger, stronger, faster development. As far as the outside development, I'm not sure how that, you know, varies of what I do now. You talk about how you try to dose speed in there and things of that nature. 
what is the relationship between your football program at, at your school and the track program? It's it's good because a football coach actually does track. That's we have such a good working relationship because we're a small school and there's every single sport has a football coach basically on its uh, staff, basketball, football, baseball, track. We all coach football on the side. So yeah, our, uh, one of our offensive coaches actually does the track and our OC is down there. It's full of uh, football coaches down there. Essentially. I'd love to get down there. Eventually I'm doing powerlifting right now. I want to get something for these kids to get involved in. But like I said, I'm, I'm extremely passionate about the track because I realize it's so important for football. Is there, I don't know, in Louisiana, I honestly, I guess I don't know enough about, about it, but is there competitive weightlifting down there? Like there is powerlifting? Uh, such as ollie lifting? Yeah, no, yeah. The, no, there's not. I mean, there is a, uh, at Louisiana LSUS in Shreveport, they have an Olympic weightlifting team at the collegiate level. But as far as for high school, no. I love ollie lifting actually more than I love powerlifting. So I wish, man. You talked about you, you used, you know, Olympic lifting with kids. Can you tell me why? Because that's a, like a topic when I talk to other strength coaches that's surprisingly really polarizing I, I absolutely love the olympic lifts um i think the clean is probably the most effective lift for athletes and i know it's a little more nuanced than that like to make you know than making a blanket statement like that but if i had to narrow down to one it would be the clean because i'm not counting the sprint as a lift <laughs> but why are you pro ollie lifts because there seems like a lot of coaches that just are don't think they're a huge waste of time I'll kind of, you know, I'll walk that back a little bit. I am a huge fan of ollie lifts. I do not do snatch with my kids. I just feel like the uh, the risk does not equal the reward for me. I feel like I can do some other things to get those things. If I'm looking at it from a football perspective, I feel like there's two different things. Number one, it's teaching a kid to move so many different parts of their body in an explosive manner. Um, I, I realize that the triple extension with running is different, obviously, but it's it's teaching a kid to be active with their feet, active with their ankles, active with their hips. And I see kids struggle with that. And if I can get them to where uh, they have some motor control, uh, then I'm going to have a better athlete, a faster athlete, I feel like. For football, also, I love the idea of the explosive pull under the bar. And then I always tell my kids, football is a contact sport. Having to receive the force of that bar as well, I feel like it's extremely beneficial for kids to get used to and get uh, accustomed to before they play the sport. I will uh, echo what you said. I don't, have, I don't have my kids snatch, just for similar reasons. I, I, I love the snatch, um, but I've also like, I can't snatch very well. And so it's just like, I can't demonstrate it very well. I just have, I don't have the shoulder mobility to catch it uh, catch it uh, properly. And so like, if I can't demonstrate it, I, I, I have a hard time asking my kids to do it, except for when I tell my track kids to go run a two mile competition. I can't do that, but I'm going to go make them do that. <laughs> yeah. But, um, no, but like, I, I, there's just things in Olympic lifting that you, you, you can mimic ballistic jumps and things like that. However, I just, I found that bumpers on a barbell just carries over with kids a little better. There was a, a study I, I saw years ago and i can't tell you where i saw it i just I saw it in an article somewhere and there was they found there was a correlation to kids with the highest hang clean on the teams typically had the most tackles on the team now to me that just means that your best you know usually your people the highest clean are your best athletes and they're the ones playing Absolutely. the most defense but i did think that was really kind of interesting that you know like hey there's there might be something behind this right if you 
have a really good power clean, you're probably going to be a good football player. With that, I kind of just want to, I'm going to, if you don't mind, I'm going to keep popcorning some S and C questions because uh, I don't, I don't get to talk to, uh, you know, a lot of coaches that program in the weight room like you are. Um, you don't, you don't, you said you don't back squat very often. Is that? No, not, I, like, I do, do back you squat. Like, um, you can, did you have something else you want to add? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut no, you no, go ahead. Go ahead. You go ahead, coach. I, I do back squat. I'm, I am not against uh, bilateral back squats. Uh, so I'll kind of give you my viewpoint on that. Uh, the back squat is a is an important part of what I can do. I told you I'm triphasic and I feel comfortable loading my kids with triphasic with a back squat based off of the equipment that I have and then also their familiarity with it. Uh, with that being said, I guess I can kind of like talk about how I would skirt around some of these issues that people find with bilateral uh, lifts. So I do back squat and pretty much throughout the entire year. I, I will have some variation of back squat earlier in the year. I'm not one of those guys, again, it's going to go down, 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 get down, get down, you know, for positioning. There's so many things going on. So I'm not going to encourage that. Uh, but I'm, I'm squatting, you know, pretty deep back squats to start the year out to get a, a general level of strength. Uh, as I move towards the sporting competition, the, the level of the movements coming up, I'm going to go three quarter squats. If I go a bilateral back squat, because the transfer of force, everybody that studies, uh, strength and conditioning knows you only got about what 15 to 20 degrees of transfer of force so I'm going to move the back squat up now how I can kind of uh, take a take some of the negatives out of the back squat is the way that I program my auxiliaries everybody knows that with bilateral things a lot of people say it's going to downregulate a lot of the things that are going to be important in sport namely running so I'm going to program in auxiliaries that I feel like are going to get them back into uh, their normal method of locomotion I'm going to do contralateral unilateral and uh, things, you know, such as split squat jumps and things right after those uh, that are going to transfer really well to sport. And I'm still getting the, the tax of the bilateral, the load of the bilateral and the adaptations that I want. So we do back squat and I do a lot of varieties of squat as well. You know, coach, for a, for a powerlifting coach, you sound like a really smart guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, I mean, I'm a, I'm a uh, powerlifting coach in disguise, I suppose. <laughs> those are good points you know that it's i we don't we should be too quick to demonize something right now perhaps like i think it's okay to talk about how horrible like squatting on like a bosu ball is like that's just silly and right I don't, what school of thought you come from if you disagree with that i will just laugh at you right all due respect <laughs> probably get but, a lot of instagram likes by doing that though man oh my gosh it, it blows my mind and I think like one of the great disservices that's happened. Okay. I don't, maybe that's an exaggeration, but some, a, a huge disservice is professional athletes. You, you see some of the things they put out on Instagram, like, Oh, this is my training. And like, they're, they're you know, juggling things on a BOSU ball. It just, you know, crazy random things, or they're doing just the silliest things with bands. And you look at that and you're like, you know, there's, there's a lot of 16 year old kids that are going to see that. and going to try it. And one might get hurt, but two, when you tell them like, oh no, like that's, that's not effective. I'm like, well, Alvin Kamara did it. And he's, he, you know, if it's good enough for him, like it'll work for me. Yeah. He, he pulled worked. a Hummer one time, man. Maybe they should go do that around the block. <laughs> you know, we did, Hey, you know, we pulled car, like we pushed cars for football all the time in high school. When I was in high school, yep. put that sucker in neutral, kicks your ass. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yeah. We've done it too. We've gone to lineman competitions. I've taken the lineman to a competition over in Texas every summer. It's real fun. And they just put the truck in neutral and see which team can push it across the line. It's, it's a fun time. So I'm not going to say that my kids haven't, but you know, I was just being, I know, I know what you meant. So as you, you talked about square one, which I'm with you on that signal six was 
incredible, like very eye opening. And so I definitely want to, you know, do square one when it comes out. But what other types of, you know, training modalities or schools of thought or things like that are you also like looking to explore? Uh, so, I mean, I've got so many different things that I want. This is a coach growth podcast. So like, I have so many different things I want to look into. I told you I'm extremely uh, neural and nervous system based. The more that I continue to grow, uh, you know, something that Victor threw out there a while back is the IP Institute's uh, courses. They have courses that take you basically through the development of all the reflex programs and things. So I'm looking to get into that because Honestly, uh, in the future, I just ordered an entire home gym and I work with huge groups of kids and that's so much fun, but I want to be able to get some more individualized training and work with small groups uh, and continue to foster athletes all the way from a young age, all the way to older. Uh, so I'm looking at things such as like primitive reflexes and just the uh, reflex system and, and the way the nervous system does. So the IP Institute is something I'm looking at. I want to get RPR too, as soon as I possibly can uh, and signal six. Those are the ones that I'm really kind of putting my money down on right now one thing you know you you're, you got a home gym this is also something that that's kind of it's it's really different depending on the coaches you talk to so you like you said you don't power lift right but i'm assuming you train like you're you know you're an in-shape guy i assume you work out on your own right absolutely now when you work out are you working out similar to how you train your athletes or are you doing something completely different man here lately i've been struggling to get any workouts i'm getting what i can but uh I always am going to try some variation of what I'm going to make a kid try. I will say that. So I've done triphasic. I've done, you know, French contrast things. I've, and I, I do kind of adopt a little bit, I suppose, what my kids do. Uh, you know, I'll do, I'll do me a deadlift and then I'll jump out and I'm going to do something, you know, such as hurdle hops or pogos or something like that, because I just feel so good after I do it. I have to verify what I'm making my kids do. So I don't train exactly like them. I like to, I like to get a little muscle tone and a little bodybuilding on makes me feel good. But, uh, I, you know, I, I have to try the things out and I found it makes me feel so good. So I'm happy with what I'm giving the kids as well. I do think, you know, you talked about like muscle tone kids all the time, like though, you know, the school was closed down. So like I work out at, at a snap fitness that we have here in town and, you know, a few kids on the team have memberships. So it was every now and then we would cross paths and they would walk in and just start curling. I'm like, what are you doing? This is before I was a strength coach or I didn't, you know, any say on any of this. I'm like, what are you doing, man? Like squat, box jump, dude, like this isn't making you a better athlete. And then they're like, well, you're curling. I'm like, yeah, because I'm retired and I can do that. Like just because how I train me, you know, do as I say, not as I do. Um, but I do like, whenever I write a workout, I do try, I try it like at least a, a, a abbreviated version of it, even just to like, make sure that it makes sense. Like the flow, what do I feel when I do it? Because like, I know what I want, the adaptations and things like that, that like I want the kids to feel, but am I feeling it? And if I'm not feeling it, okay, then are the kids getting out of it? So I do think it's, I do, you know, like you, you know, you kind of try those things, you know, I, I think it'd be really hard. I love triphasic. Um, it's actually sitting over there on my couch right now. I was uh, going through it again last night. I think it'd be really hard to try to implement triphasic without actually trying ISOs yourself and like mm -hmm. the slow eccentrics and, you know, concentric portions. So I do think that you should try, feel, get a feel for what you're programming just to make sure that it makes sense, you know, because if you try it and you're like, well, this, I don't feel right or whatever, then how are you going to prescribe that to a high school kid? So besides the neural stuff, coach, what, is there anything else that, you know, just outside of, training that you're trying to improve on as a coach you know let, let you know the, the x's and o's of, of training aside 
is there any, you know, what areas as a coach are you trying to improve on? As, as far as uh, not for myself personally, you're saying as, as far as for like for my. Yeah. yeah like, for, like for me, like just, I'll just generally speak, like for my, like I am, I, I spent a lot of time like working on pro, like learning programming over like the last year. I need to, I'm like, I need to get significantly better at like spreadsheets and like making my workouts like look right on paper you know and that, that's silly but just something that's like not training specific but just coaching in general oh absolutely that, that's a great example because i you know I'm, I'm a big tech guy but i'm always finding something else that i need to learn about so i would i would agree that i, I want to get better at technology uh i want to find ways to implement technology into what i'm doing in the weight room actually because i'm kind of a hand you know, hamstrung right now as far as what I can do. I don't have Wi-Fi in my weight room, but I am a huge digital person. I teach English too. I don't hand out a single paper the entire time that I teach. Every kid's got a Chromebook. I believe in the power of digital. I believe that, uh, you know, the kids out far, far outnumber me and the other coaches in the weight room. If I can have a resource that can show them what they need. So I'm, I'm trying to work on becoming more digital and streamlining things like that, I guess you would say in the near future. A, a quick question. This should have came earlier and I apologize that I forgot to ask it sooner, but weight room flow. Did you guys have capacity restrictions due to COVID? And like, how did you tackle that with equipment? We did have capacity restrictions and I thought it was just going to be so difficult. But if, you know, this is a coach growth podcast and if you've got a growth mindset, whenever you find a challenge, you find a way to work around it. Uh, and I was thinking, man, this is going to be, you know, so difficult, but it allowed me to look at kids, we could only have, a, I believe it was 25 within an inside setting at a time. So we, we divided the weight rooms. Anything that was to be done in the rack uh, with me was in our main weight room. So anything that was to be done in the rack was going to be done in there, our main lifts that would be rack involved. Uh, anything such as trap bar deadlift, clean, trap bar jumps, kettlebell swings, all the auxiliaries was in our field house. And we built a second weight room that could be done there. Uh, we were able to spread out as much as we needed to outside, but we actually had four functioning groups, I think, at a time uh, working, you know, just kind of in a clockwise fashion, basically, to get the entire thing done and get everybody through. But that it was so awesome because I thought it was going to be bad. And it allowed me to see kids, to watch more kids that I wouldn't be able to watch because I'm, you know, I can only see so many kids working out at a time. I got to see so many reps. I got to see so many kids I wouldn't see uh, in their development. And I got to explain so much more. So it actually turned out to be a positive thing. That's awesome. I like to, you know, I like to hear that. You know, when I was writing down the work, like workouts, I'm a huge believer in trap bar deadlifts. I think they're amazing. I think they should be a staple of every program uh, if you've got it. But then I, so we're allowed 20 athletes in there. And I went through, uh, last week. And I was like, I'm going to make an inventory of all the bars and benches just because like I, I knew where everything was in my head. I was like, I just want to do a count. And I'm like, you know, we only have two trap bars. That's kind of problematic for 20 people to share two trap bars when you're not, you know, you're not supposed to share equipment. Everything needs to get wiped down between uses and things I like that. I sprayed so much equipment. I thought my hands were going to, you know, become raw every single day, man. <laughs> oh my God. Gosh, I can't imagine. I, yeah, but it, it, there's things like that when you're like, you know, trying to find positives of, of COVID, like you talked about, like you got to see more athletes. And so it, I think like these restrictions, what, say what you will about them, but they have required coaches to think more critically about things like workout flow, 
you know, using your space uh, optimally, things like that. So you got to find positives in, you know, the negative situations. And so it it cuts out a lot of the fat, man. Sometimes I feel like uh, strength and conditioning coats can have so much fluff in their program. And it made me more kind of like a a minimalist, you know, how how can I achieve this? What, what, what needs to be changed to get the desired adaptation for the day? I mean, what fits here uh, that would be able to complement that? So I, I just feel like for me, this was such a year of growth for me in 2020. And I, I was happy that we were able to win state in this year. I told the guys that if we win state this year, I'm going to feel really special about it because we had to overcome so much just to have a season. So it was a special year. I'm so glad you said that, Coach. I mean, that's that's absolutely right. I've heard people say, well, you know, this is COVID. It's a blow off year. When in reality, like it, it's almost more special just because of, like you said, the hardships that every athlete and coaches had to go through. And it's in like in the past year, it's just ridiculous. It is special. Congratulations on that. Like that's a huge accomplishment. I appreciate you. Thank you. No problem. With the minimalist thing with limited group size in the weight room and every, all of our workouts are before school or after school, right? Just scheduling wise. I remember in my younger days as a coach, which I understand wasn't that long ago because I'm still young, but I would try to find ways to like have like, wor- have them work out for like five days a week. And like, I wanted them to work out more days because, you know, work out more, we'll get in shape faster, all those thoughts. But I found that like with COVID, you know, I, I when I'm out of their AD, he was like, you know, what, three days a week. And I was like, honestly, his name's Steve. I was like, Steve, I can do a lot in two days. And with that mindset, I'm like, if I don't have a reason, if I can't, if like, if I don't have it, like a, a super specific reason as to why to use an exercise, then I just don't use it because I don't have the time to use it. And I think it's a really good thing. I think the, like when we try to narrow it down and I'm not saying cut things out that are important, but just cutting out the fluff. Like I when like we, when we were working out five days a week, like I was just making stuff up to fill out like a, you know, 45 minute time slot for a workout. I totally agree, man. And I'm like, you know, it's like, why, why am I, why would I do that? It's just not necessary. And it was like, how can I keep the kid busy for 45 minutes rather than what can I accomplish in 45 minutes? That's, that's how I start. That's how I think everybody starts until you, until you get yourself more involved in things. And, you know, I'm, I'm more of like a minimum effective dose guy. Like I, you know, in triphasic, everybody sees the uh, undulating model. And I, I use a lot of that, especially whenever I'm going heavy strength, because I'm taking and st- stress is the number one thing I'm looking at. If my athlete comes in on Wednesday and they can't do anything because I've overloaded them with unnecessary work that really didn't benefit them in the long run, then I've not done my job effectively. So that's just something I've discovered as well in uh, my years and I've learned. Last question before we we kind of close up here. Who's your Super Bowl pick? Who you got? Man, I'm a Raiders fan, so I can't I cannot pick the Chiefs. I think they're amazing. I love Pat Mahomes. I love Bobby Stroop. I have to pick the Buccaneers, even if I think the Chiefs are probably the better team. So I'm going with the Bucks, and I I think Brady's the best quarterback of all time. So I'm hoping to see him pull one more out. Absolutely, it's even if he doesn't pull it out. Like, I don't know how you don't argue that he's the greatest of all time. I just time. talked about him the other day, man, in consistency. He's, he's the GOAT, man. Well, Coach, thanks for your time. Where can people find you? Like, how do people get a hold of you if they want to talk more about, you know, what you're doing and things like that? 
I'm extremely active on Twitter. Uh, my handle is Jesse underscore Curtis uh, 05. So, you know, if anybody wants to talk, I'm an open book. If, if you're interested in anything I said, I, I love ch talking with strength coaches, chatting and just learning and networking with people. So I'm most active on Twitter. That'd be the best place to find me. I really enjoyed talking shop with you today, man. It was a lot of fun. For having me on, man. It, it was a it was a pleasure. And uh, I'm going to hit you up eventually, dude. I'm going to get a podcast going and uh, I'd love to have you on sometime once I get that going, man. I, I, hey, absolutely. Uh, I, you know, show for a show. I appreciate absolutely, it. Absolutely, man. Thank, thank you for the time, man.